but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, I'm thankful for uh, this this morning. I'm thankful that every seat in this room is filled, that we have an overflow, that people are here to worship you. There's just an overflowing of your grace. It's, It's something special that we can't understand or describe, but we are thankful for it. And so I just pray as we open your word that your grace would abound, that your people would be built up, that the church would grow in our faith and in our maturity, not just numerically, but Father, deeper with you, that we would be a congregation that thinks biblically, that thinks maturely, that loves one another, um, and that the gospel would be proclaimed here faithfully. And Father, there's other churches this morning that are preaching Christ. Please just bless them tenfold. Make their ministries grow. Make them effective for the sake of your name. I pray that all the churches that proclaim the gospel in this town and beyond would just fill up, that people would hear of your love and your grace and your hope that we have in Christ. I can't convince anyone of anything, Father, and so as we broach a challenging and difficult topic this morning, please help me. Uh, Open my mouth and use it for your glory. May your spirit fill me and empower me, because apart from you, I am nothing. I am a worm. But with you, uh, I I have the potential and ability to to feed your sheep, and so I pray you would help me to do that. I pray that your spirit would fall on us and that we would hear clearly your word and that even if some of these things are challenging to us, that we would consider them, that we would uh, believe them because they are true. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. And if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 13, and if you don't, there should be, I mean, excuse me, 15, and there should be one in the seat in front of you. You can grab one. I think even in the overflow, there's some Bibles, and so if you guys over there need one, um, grab it. We have a, um, it's come to my attention in the last couple of weeks as a church that we have a really, it's kind of a serious issue going on, um, and, it's, and it's one we need to deal with, um, and, it, and it's been on my heart, and it's, it's really a big burden. Uh, it's, it's come to my attention that we have way too many Dallas Cowboys fans in this church, <laughs> right? And it's a problem. Um, and, you know, again, with la- in regards to last week's game, I'm so sorry. Uh, I just will say this to you, Dallas fans. The refs giveth and the refs taketh away. All right? Okay. I'm really not sorry, by the way. Um, but here, that, that's kind of silly a little bit. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you kind of know that's kind of how we roll a little bit uh, with the, the sports bantering. But here, here's the reality. In the church... There are different passions, desires, convictions, stances on things that bring division, that bring tension. And and it is one of the attacks of the enemy. Remember, I talked last week how he uses the Ds, like deceit and doubt, right, and discouragement. One of the Ds that the enemy constantly will do, well, he'll try to divide. He'll try to bring disunity to the body of Christ, 
and we are very good at letting him. And so the question that we have to ask is, as we are one church, four services, as God has grown us numerically, as the diversity has just gotten more and more diverse, which is good and healthy, how do we maintain unity? How do we be one? How do we handle the differences in passions and, and in convictions? That's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Acts chapter 15. Because what's going to happen in Acts 15 is this recurring issue that's kind of shown up once in a while, periodically, is now coming to a head. All right? We've seen a little bit of it, pieces, but now it's a big deal, and the early church is going to have to deal with it. And in doing so, it teaches us how do we deal with the same kind of issues. And here's where we've been. If you're new, visiting, forget. It's about 48, 49 A.D., Jesus was crucified, resurrected in 30 AD. So we're about 20 years out. Doesn't feel like it because we've only been in here like three, four months, right? But it's 20 years after Jesus has gone back to heaven. That's a long time. That's long, that's, that's long when some of y'all have been alive. And they're still dealing with this kind of stuff. And what happened last week we saw was Paul and Barnabas, they go on a three-year journey where they bring the Gentiles in, man. It's full steam ahead. They're planting churches in Gentile cities. And now the Gentiles are part of this deal. And at first, everyone's excited because it's like, yeah, God's doing great things, woohoo! But then they realize, wait a minute, we got to live with these people. And they're different. They smell different. They look different. They act different. They eat different stuff. You got the sharks and the jets. All right, those of you born in the 90s, it's a movie called West Side Story. Go watch it tonight. But you got the sharks and the jets, and now they got to be together. And they don't like each other, but they got to live together. How do we deal with that? That's the text. All right? Honeymoon is over. Time to live together. Acts chapter 15. All right? And here's how it starts. And again, Paul and Barnabas have been in Antioch for a little bit of time now after the first journey. And chapter 15 starts out with this word, but. Anytime a chapter of scripture starts out with but, not good. It's like when people come up after a sermon. That was a great sermon, but. And I'm like, go away. Email me on Wednesday, okay? But, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they, these Jewish brothers, remember the church in Jerusalem is primarily Jewish. The church in Antioch is predominantly uh, Gentile. And so they leave Jerusalem, they go down because they're going downhill they're going north, but they're going downhill because Jerusalem's on a hill. And they come up to Antioch, and these, these Jewish Christians, they kind of just roll a grenade into the room and say this, to all these Gentiles, unless y'all get circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And what they're saying is, you have to become Jewish if you want to go to heaven. Remember, circumcision is the sign of Abrahamic covenant. On the eighth day, all the males were circumcised. If you were not, you were seen as outside the covenant. So they're saying is, y'all, if you want to go to heaven, you got to be circumcised. That's in essence what they're saying. And they have fell down the slippery slope that we all fall down because it's in our human nature. And this tendency in us, they have, they have succumbed to it. They have become legalists. They become legalists. And there's a misconception about what and what not legalism is. So let me tell you what legalism is not before I tell you what it is. Legalism is not, I want to live a holy life. Legalism is not, I, I have a passion for purity and I have convictions. That's not legalism. 
Legalism is, here's a list of rules that I've created, or maybe I've seen them elsewhere, but I'm going to keep these to make God happy with me. And because I keep these rules that I've created and you don't, I am better than you. I'm more holy. I have somehow earned God's love and his favor. That is legalism. And what we do and what they did is we either front load it or we back load it. You want to become one of us? They front loaded it. You got to do this. All right? You got to get yourself all cleaned up. Well, we do it. We use spiritual language. You got to believe, but you also got to get baptized. If you don't get baptized, you can't be a Christian. You got you to do the sacraments because there's grace there. And you know, you got to believe and do these, all these things. We front loaded it. Or what's more common for us is we backload. No, no, salvation's free. It's by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But if you want to be one of us, just make sure you don't go to the movies. Just make sure that you don't use drums in your service. Just make sure you believe and then you, you fill in the blank. Don't do this. Don't drink, chew, go with girls to do. Whatever it is. All right? That's the list. Right? And we're not talking issues of moral obedience. We're not talking about following Christ. We're talking about going beyond what the scripture has said and adding to the gospel. And here's the thing. When you take and add to the best news in the universe, when you take away from it or you add to it, it no longer is the good news. It is the bad news. You have corrupted it. You have destroyed it. Let me illustrate like this. Okay, got myself a bottle of smart water, all right? I don't know why it's smart. It doesn't say anything on there, but it hadn't made me any smart. I drank like three bottles and I'm still dumb, okay? So it's not that smart. I'm dumb because I paid $1.80 for it. <laughs> but needless to say, good tasting, pure, smart water, right? Now, this cup, on the other hand, just a little bit of the water from the urinals across the way, all right? Got some good deacons have been faithful, all right? If, you get, if you're a deacon at this church, this is what you do, all right? You go get urinal. So if I pour this blue water from the men's room into the smart water, just a little bit now, now who wants to drink it? Anyone? Oh, I'll drink some. Mm. Mm. All right, it's not really from the urinal, okay? Yeah, I'm not dumb. I mean, but to make the point, all right, it's Powerade or something, I don't know. But why is it? that you didn't want to drink it because it had been corrupted. And it wasn't a lot that corrupted it, right? Just a little bit. When you add to the purity of the gospel, you have destroyed it. It is so potent and so powerful by itself. But when you add to it, what you're saying when you add to the gospel is this, that God is not holy and I'm not truly sinful because I can somehow bridge the gap between us on my own. And so when we get to heaven, it's, yeah, I believed, but man, you should have seen me for a while there, for like 10 years. I was a solid dude. I got here because of Jesus, and I did a little bit. And that is not the gospel, and it is not true, right? And that's the essence, the core behind legalism, that somehow you can earn God's favor. You can earn it. And it's part of our DNA. It's part of what we do. It's part of a humanistic culture. Go down to Forsyth today. You ask 100 people, ask them the same question. Do you deserve judgment? Most of them are going to say, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not, I'm not Hitler. And I don't know where the kind of judgment line falls, but I'm pretty sure it's behind me and Hitler's behind me and I'm in front of it. And if you ask them, do you deserve heaven? They'll say, oh, 
Yeah, I think I do. I mean, I'm not no Mother Teresa, but pay my taxes, I'm going to pay my tuition, I'm going to keep the speed limit. Yeah, I think I deserve heaven. In reality, the scripture says to the question, do you deserve judgment? The answer is absolutely you do. And do you deserve heaven? The answer is absolutely you don't. So why is our culture so opposite? Because there's something in us that thinks we can earn the favor of God. It comes from Adam. Back in the day, what's the first thing Adam does? He falls, they sin. What do they do? They create their own religion. Fig leaf religion, right? They try to hide their sin. They try to hide their shame with fig leaves. Not smart, right? And what God has to do is he has to kind of lay them open. And how is that whole deal dealt with? God himself has to cover them with the, with the, with the skin of an animal that he himself kills, picturing the future Messiah who would cover their sins, the Lamb of God. But it's in our tendency to what? To try to cover, to try to hide, to think that we can do something. But the problem with legalism is it's a sorry substitute for the sacrifice of Christ. Sorry and weak. And so how do we handle differences in the little areas? Here's the first thing we do, is that we keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, CBC, and if you're new and you don't know it, is this. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified for your sins as your substitute, resurrected on the third day, salvation in him and him alone through faith. That is the main thing. It's what we call the gospel, the good news, okay? That is primary. Everything else is secondary. But the gospel is the main thing. And when we keep it the main thing, it will guard us from all sorts of error. Because the implication of not keeping it the main thing, there's huge ramifications on how we treat one another. Because what you believe always results in a behavior issue. How you believe always responds, it's always reflected in how you behave. And it's seen this problem of legalism, the same thing that's going on in Acts 15, most scholars think that the issue in Galatians chapter 2 is the same exact issue. The same exact situation. And if you go to Galatians 2, you can read about it later. Here's what happens. You got all these boys in Antioch. You got Paul. You got Barnabas. You got Peter. They're all eating barbecue. They're having bacon sandwiches. It's a blast. Everyone's enjoying themselves until a couple Jewish guys come from Jerusalem. And as soon as these couple Jewish guys get there, all of a sudden, Peter's like, whoa, whoa, I'm not hanging out with the bacon eaters anymore. And even Barnabas, good old Barnabas the encourager, good old Barney, stops hanging out with the Gentiles and eating bacon. And it takes Paul getting up in their grill and saying, y'all are not living in step with the gospel to bring them back. That's the issue here. See, when you are, have this, I can earn God's favor, you're, gonna, you're not going to walk in step with the gospel. It has huge implications for how we treat one another. And so we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We have to fight against the tendency to think we earn God's favor. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do. I mean, they're like, whoa, whoa. There's n- they had no small dissension and debate. That's a Greek idiom. We're saying it, they were on fire. There is a huge clash in this church over the gospel and the implications. So much so that they don't get it dealt with. And so they say, we got to go to Jerusalem. We got to go get the bigwigs. We got to get the elders and the apostles and ask them about this question. You say, why do they have to do that? Because they can't open to, oh, let's turn to Ephesians 2. Oh, wait, I haven't written that yet. Okay. Uh, the only New Testament they have is James at this point, maybe. So they got to go down to the guys who are eventually going to write it, along with Paul. And so that's what they do. Verse 3. 
And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia, Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. They're, they're telling everything about the, as they work their way down. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. But when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. So they're talking about how great God is and what he's doing. And in the middle of that, but, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. That's Paul's old group, right? The party of the Pharisees, they rose up and, and they're telling and they're talking and they interrupt and say, it is necessary to circumcise them and in order them to keep the law of Moses, i.e., they got to be like us. They got to be Jewish. They got to be circumcised and all the Gentiles like, and they got to keep the law. You know, there's this whole debate going on. And we're not talking about the moral law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. We're not talking there. We're talking ceremonial. Wash your hands. Don't walk too far on Saturdays. You know, don't eat this. Don't eat that. That's the law we're talking about here. So they got to do that. They got to be Jewish like us. And so they talk about it. They debate it. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And there had been much debate. And in the Greek text, much is way up front for emphasis. It's a big debate in the church. And after there was much debate here, Peter stands up. Now, remember Peter, a couple weeks earlier, he's the one falling. He's guilty of this very thing. So this is fresh on his mind. And so he stands up and says, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He says, who was the one that took the gospel of the Gentiles first? It was me. When did that happen? Acts chapter 10. We were there a couple months ago, remember? He's on the top of his buddy's house living on the med and Tantastic Joint, right? The sheet falls down. He has a dream. He's like, kill and eat. No, I don't want to do that. Kill and eat. No, I don't want to do that. Kill and eat. All that whole deal. That's what he's talking about. And he recalls all that. He said, don't, you remember that story? You remember Cornelius? He said, how did that whole deal go down? Did I go to Cornelius and these Roman guys and say, all right, y'all Roman punks, listen here. You won't be one of us. No more bacon. Stop mowing your lawns on Saturday. And I got some surgery out back. We got a pair of scissors. You guys come on back. And we'll deal with it. He said, is that how it worked? Is that how it went down? No, that is not how it went down. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. How? By giving them this Holy Spirit just as he gave it to us. He gave us the Spirit on Pentecost. He gave them the Spirit on this day. They had the same experience as us. He made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed them and us. How? By faith. It's all by faith. Right? And so he goes into his conclusion. Therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He said, we couldn't keep the law. You couldn't keep the law. Moses couldn't keep the law. And you're putting a yoke. And you know what a yoke is? Not an egg yoke, but a yoke for oxen. Here's kind of a you know, modern version of one. Doesn't look fun. Put your head in that. He says, why are you putting this on their neck? Didn't Jesus say my yoke is easy? That doesn't look easy. No one can keep the law. So why are we asking them to do it? Because no one can keep the law. The law was never meant to save anybody. It couldn't save the law was meant to show you that you couldn't keep it, thus you needed a savior, right? You weren't saved by keeping the Big Ten. You didn't murder anybody. You were shown by the law that you are a murderer. How do I know? Get on Duran at 5 o'clock. You're a murderer. <laughs> Try to get on customer service with Comcast. You're a murderer. 
right? No joke, and you're probably justified. <laughs> if you have kids, you're a murderer. I mean, I was slaying children all afternoon yesterday. I mean, we were cleaning out closets and organizing, and I'm like, what in the world is this? And I'm throwing things, and I'm all mad, and I got to preach in like three hours. And I had to go last night to my boys, my nine and six-year-old, and I sat on the bed. I said, Daddy was mean. You guys forgive me. Because I was, I was a murderer. Maybe not physically, but in my heart. And we all are. Some of us, want, we just want to go Nehemiah 12 on people sometimes, right? Remember Nehemiah 12? Pulls beards out. He's, all just, he's pulling out hair. I think it's a great ministry, y'all. It's a beard, mustache pulling ministry. He wants to be part of that. The deacon of beard pulling. But it's not that the law was bad. It's that we're bad. And the law showed us that. Right? And there's only one who could keep the law. And there's only one who did. Jesus of Nazareth kept the law. Not only was it fulfillment, he kept it. And so Peter's saying, why, why are we trying to get everyone to do this? And here's what he closes with. These are the last words of Peter in the entire book of Acts. Right? You don't see Peter again. But I love his last words. He says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Grace is the idea is you don't deserve it. How are we saved? Not by the law. We didn't deserve it. He saved us. They are saved by grace too. So why are we putting a yoke on them, right? And I love the response of everybody. They, they were silent. What are we going to say? He's right. And then Paul and Barnabas get up. And in my sanctified imagination... I envision it like, so Peter sits down and Paul stands up and Paul probably winks at him, right? Because he knows he's the one who got up in his grill two, three weeks earlier. He gets it now. He's like, that's what I'm talking about, brother. Fist bump. And then Paul and Barnabas, they just recount. They related what signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. They just recap first missionary journey. We looked at it last week. Man, we went down to Cyprus. Just got bar Jesus. He was getting in our way. Paul does this Jedi thing. He goes blind. It was awesome. Got on a boat, went up here. Gentiles are believing. It's like a football game. Woo, rejoicing. Go down here. Paul heals a guy. They think I'm a god because look at the guns and they're just, you know, they're going to worship us. Then they stone us and that was pretty cool. And then Paul gets back up. He's crazy. He goes back into town and they're just talking all the God did. And then they recap. But they didn't have to become Jewish. None of them became Jewish. They just believed. They believed. And Paul and Barnabas sit down. And then the big wig gets up, big cheese. James, right? This is not James, son of Zebedee, James. He's dead. This is James, brother of Jesus, James. This is the guy that grew up with Jesus thinking, is this kid ever going to mess up? That James, right? The one who wrote the book of James. He's the big cheese. And he speaks... Now, understand, he, the Pharisees and all these guys, if they have a guy, James is their guy. Right, he's the Jewish guy. He's kind of the, this is our guy, our Paul, the, Paul, Peter, uh, but this is our guy. He's going to stand up for us. He's going to tell them how it is. Come on, James. Don't bring it. So James says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name, for his name. Now, that statement, for us, we just kind of read over that, but for the Jewish conglomerate, their jaw would have been to take them for a people. 
Now, they're used to hearing this kind of language. This is covenantal language. This is election language. This is God choosing language. But they're used to hearing it about themselves, not about the Gentiles. He just said, their guy just said that God has chosen the Gentiles to be a people for his name. And not only does he, he doesn't stop there, he validates it with the Old Testament. He says, this is the words the prophets agree. He says, just as it's written, and he quotes Amos. No, most of us probably not even read Amos. But Amos was a, a shepherd who, who preached 750 years before Jesus showed up at Nazareth. 750 years. And he says this, after this, I'll return. I will rebuild the tent of David. That has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. Notice the line, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. He says, Amos was talking about this 700 years ago, that God would call the Gentiles by name. He didn't say the Gentiles who became Jews, he said Gentiles. This is what God has been doing all along. We've seen it in the Old Testament. We've seen it in Paul and Barnabas' witness. We've seen what Peter did. And so he concludes in verse 19, therefore, my judgment... The big cheese is that so we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, i.e. back off. Back off. Why are we trying to put new wine into old wineskins? They do not have to become Jewish. They are saved by grace through faith, just like we are. Back off, right? Gentiles, bacon, yes. Woo! Surgery, no. Woo! Right? We got enough issues to worry about. And that's where they leave it. Right? The main thing is the main thing. They don't need to add to it. They don't need to take away from it. It's sufficient. And here's what that looks like for us as a church. We do not front load anything for people to come here. Right? You do not, if you're here this morning, you don't have to clean yourself up and come to God. You don't have to get all, oh, I got to make sure I don't cuss anymore and I don't have to do all these things. That's not how it works. And as a church, do not front load the gospel. Don't tell, well, you can come to our church, but the only thing front loaded is if you're late at 9.45 and 11.15, you're in the overflow. That's front loaded. Oh, sorry about that, y'all. All right. But everything else, there's no front loading. You are welcome to come. The gospel is enough to transform. Now, after the fact, are the things God says, you know what, purity and marriage and all these things, are the things he says, yes, but that's after someone comes to faith in Christ and the spirit of God is within them, then they have the ability to follow Christ. But we don't front load it. It's important. Not only that, the gospel, it, it fuels every facet of the ministry here at CBC. It's, it's part of everything we do. Parking ministry. You say, how does the gospel fuel that? Because we are help, trying to get you safely here in the quickest way possible because we care about you and we want to be hospitable, just like Jesus is hospitable to us. The gospel fuels it. The gospel fuels how we take care of our kids, that we want to love the children just like Jesus does. He says, let the kids come. We're going to love them. Our counseling, we point to the sufficiency of Christ and what he has done in our identity in him. The way we handle our money, the way we hire, the way we're stewards, it all comes back to we are going to give an account to the one who is gracious and given us all things. It all is fueled, even the greeting time. Why do we do such a long greeting time? Is it because we don't, we don't have anything to do? We want you to be hospitable and welcome strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's all fueled by the gospel. And if it's not, then we need to get rid of it or reevaluate it. Even in our homes, everything we do has to be fueled why do I go to a nine-year-old and six-year-old and apologize? Because I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I want them to know it. 
I need them to know it. Because here's where we fail with kids. This is where I failed. And I think the church is super failed. We have from zero to sixth grade, here's what we do with kids. We do it in church, we do it at home. From zero to sixth grade, we tell them everything they should be doing. Do this, do that, do this, do that, da 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 lift the rules. All these things, do, 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 do. They get to sixth, seventh grade, we switch. It's no longer do, 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 now it's don't, 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 don't. Don't, no, don't, 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 don't. So from zero to 12th grade, we've just given them a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. And then when they're 11th and 12th grade, they got all the rules. They, got, they know what they shouldn't be doing, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. And their heart's never been touched. But they can tell you the rules because they know them. Transformation comes from the gospel and the gospel alone. And so there's nothing wrong with having family rules. We're not saying that. But the point is this. If you're, if you're not pointing them to the gospel, then you're, then you're not going to see transformation. That's when the heart is touched, then the life is touched. And so I failed miserably in this area, right? And so we need, and that's what we're trying to do with our kids. We're not trying to teach our kids a bunch of how to be goods. We want to point them to Christ. That's why we chose in the gospel project of us, as our curriculum. And in the fall, when we come back, we're going to teach them who Jesus is and what he's like. That's what we want for our children. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts that they come out and they're like, well, I can unpack Deuteronomy 17 for you. Great. Unless that's changed his life, that doesn't mean anything. So the gospel fuels everything. The gospel transforms the hearts. Keeping the main thing the main thing. So bacon, yes. Surgery, no. All is well. But here's the, here's the challenge of the passage. They have just spent 19 verses just working hard at saying no rules, not under the law. And what does James do in the second half of this verse? He gives them rules. It's like, no law. We're not under law. And then all of a sudden he jumps and says, but do these things. And these are all law, by the way. He says, as my judgment, we shouldn't trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Yes, but we're going to write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from the blood. Three of these four things are amoral issues. They're law issues. There's only one that's not. So he's basically saying, we're not under the law. Woo! And then he's giving them the law. And you're like, well, what is that about? What's he doing here? Right? Here's what he's doing. He's not schizophrenic. He's got the jets and the sharks, and they got to hang out, right? We've, we've already established that they don't have to do anything to get in, but how are we going to get these folks to like each other? How are we going to get them along? Because they're going to be with each other a lot. There's no church buildings. Church is in the house. And what the early church did a lot of, first century language, they did what's called tabling. We don't do a lot of tabling. We kind of drive through the Taco Bell, throw a breeder, the kid in the back on the way to soccer practice. That's not tabling. Tabling would be where they would go and they would just be with each other for hours and they'd eat and they'd hang out and they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. They'd just be with one another, right? And it was a special time. But how do you do that when you get some folks that are different? It's a significant part of what they did. Hey, and if you ask me, people, what, what was a really significant spiritual growth area? Where were you most nourished? It, it was, it's not my quiet time. I look back, probably one of the greatest spiritual times in my life, and events, so to speak. When we were in seminary, we had two kids at the time, every other Saturday night, and I've gone back to this time and time again. You've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me say it. Every other Saturday night, 
we would pack up the kids. We would go to Steve and Leslie Bergstrom's house. These are an older couple in our church. And they had all the seminary couples in the church over. And man, we would go over at like five o'clock. We would place the wickedest badminton west of the Mississippi. All the guys would be just, man, we were all diving and it was great. The women were inside thinking we're morons. We're outside thinking we're studs. <laughs> then we would come in and we would eat barbecue and baked potatoes and Leslie would make this great meal. We would hang out and we would laugh and we would talk and we would cry. And then we would play games with one another till 11 o'clock until we finally had to go home. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most special times in my spiritual life, was hanging out with those friends, just being with each other, encouraging one another, and crying and getting excited and and celebrating births and deaths. That was meaningful. And if you've ever been with a a group of Christians and maybe you're out having sushi or at a concert or, or bowling or at the beach and it felt holy to you, it's because it is. It's because it is. And the early church, they were doing it a lot. But here's the challenge. They would come together for this big meal. I mean, you thought the Baptists created potlucks. They didn't, all right? It was, it was the early church. And so they would come together, and this guy over here, this good Jewish man, he would, he would bring his great-great-grandmother Ruth's recipe for lamb chops. Man, and that was good, good lamb chops, passed down through the generations. And he would bring this. And this guy over here, this Gentile, he would bring his wife's specialty, bacon-wrapped shrimp. Mm. Right? And they'd bring it together, and there's tension. Because this guy over here is thinking, how in the world can he eat that? Hasn't he read Deuteronomy? And this guy over here is thinking, how in the world can he not eat this? It's delicious. And there's tension because this guy doesn't feel free to do it. And this guy's doing it right in front of him. There's just this tension. And here's how not to handle it. Here's what you don't want, but this is what we do in the church all the time. What ends up happening is the, the lamb chop eaters all hang out with each other. The lamb chop eaters will all just gather and we'll be together, just lamb chop eaters. And the shrimp eaters, we will gather together too. And then we'll start talking about the lamb chop eaters and how silly they are because they won't eat shrimp. And the lamb chop eaters will start talking about the shrimp eaters and how wicked and immoral they are because they eat bacon. And we just have split the church over lamb chops and shrimp, thinking that we're better because we haven't kept the main thing the main thing. And I know that shrimp is not the issue. If it is, we need counseling with some of y'all. Okay, I get that. But let's talk about what is. Because there's a lot of issues that are the issue. Gray areas that the Bible is not black and white on, that, that all of us have different passions and convictions about. And own it right here. Let's, let me just say, some of you might get offended because I'm going to mention some of these things. Because that's your issue. I, I get that. Right? But understand, some of these issues are, are, are gray. And here's the biggie in our culture. It's not big in other places, but because we're in the South, it's an issue. Some of you after church... Go out to eat, get you a nice steak, a nice burger, a nice piece of fish. You're going to order with your steak a glass of wine. And that's your gig. That's your deal. I mean, you're an expert in the grapes. You smell 1963. I mean, that's you. Whatever. Temp room 83 degrees. Whatever. Okay? That's your deal. I'm a teetotaler. I don't get that. Right? I remember Natty Light from college. That's all I know. All right? But that's your deal. And you have a biblical right to do that. All right? There's no one of any sort of exegetical faithfulness that would say that, that you, you don't have a right to do that. 
But the other half of the room, they're going to go to the same restaurant. You know what? They're going to have sweet tea or water because they don't feel free to do that. They can't do that. Because for them, one glass turns into one bottle, which turns into somehow they get to Jacksonville with a new tattoo. (laughs) That's what happens. And that's half our church, by the way. Okay. (laughs) And so the question is this. How do those two deal with one another sitting across, right, when they're in the same house? That is the issue. And that's a big one. And here's some other gray area issues that, that are big. What kind of schooling do you do with your kids? What's the dating practice of your family? Are you going to kiss dating goodbye or are you going to say hello to dating, okay? <laughs> Which one are you going to do? Cigars versus no cigars. Entertainment choices, radio, movies, political parties, Saturday service. Some people think we're the devil because we have a Saturday service. So that's fine. Tell them to preach four on a Sunday. <laughs> but that's, a, that's a, it's an area. Tattoos, piercings. Some people carry a weapon. Some people think that's not good. These are issues in the church, different positions. Some cards for some people is an issue, right? All these things. How do you deal with it? And I'm, again, I'm not talking about where the scripture is clear. Drunkenness is sin, it's sin. Immorality is sin. It's okay. Addiction is sin. Playing go fish with the kids, I'll leave it to your conscience. Okay? <laughs> For some people, maybe. But that's not, a, that's not a black and white issue. And so James goes to four things. Three of the four are amoral. One of them is moral. Three of the four are, are amoral. They're law issues. Let's look at them. First, he says, you should abstain from what is polluted by idols. Verse 29 clarifies this, what has been sacrificed to idols. And that day, if you're eating a piece of meat, it's probably been sacrificed to an idol outside of Jerusalem. Why? Because the meat was taken to the temple of Artemis or the temple of Zeus or someplace else. It was offered to them. They kill it, and then they take it to the butcher. That's what they did. That was their culture, all right? And, and so that would never happen in Jerusalem, but that's what happened everywhere else, Ephesus, Corinth, all these places. It was just part of it. It says, don't eat that meat. And we'll come back to why. Secondly, it says, abstain from sexual immorality. This is the Greek word porneia. What, is, what qualifies as immorality? Let me be very specific. This is not the big deal, but here's what porneia is in, in their culture and for us. Any Physical relationship outside the context of husband and wife relationship. And I said husband and wife relationship is called porneia. Period. You can't validate any other position from the scriptures. And we'll get into this in a couple months. But he says that you are to abstain. And that's New Testament, Old Testament. That's a a running deal. Okay? Third thing, from what has been strangled and from the blood. Fourth thing, the way the Jews and the Gentiles killed their meat was different. The Jews had a very specific way. They drained the blood. They do all these things. The Gentiles, it didn't matter. I mean, you throw it in the middle of the road and get run over by a chariot and they didn't eat it. Okay, it didn't matter. Okay? <laughs> and so he says, don't eat, don't eat the meat that's been strangled or just not killed the way. Why? Is there something wrong with a raw steak? Is there something wrong with a medium rare hamburger? No, these are amoral issues. So what's the big deal then? Why are you saying don't do it? The big deal is your Jewish brother has real issues with it. And you got to care for his soul. And you got to care for his growth. 
So give up the right to eat a rare steak when you're with him so that it doesn't cause him to struggle. And here's the underlying principle for all these things. And it's how we handle differences. It's how we handle different convictions and schooling and all these things is that we is more important than I. And I know Mr. American Christian who has the right to pursue happiness based on the Declaration of Independence. It is a real struggle to get the idea of we, but you better start because we, church, is more important than me, I, individual, especially when it comes to freedoms. It, it's, it's, it's New Testament. It's love. It's who we are, and this matters, right? It's important. And this very issue... First, this meat, sacrifice to idols, this comes up several times in the New Testament. It, it's, you can do a case study from 1 Corinthians 8, the very same issue, actually. And I'll flip there. Paul is going to deal with the very same issue of meat, sacrifice to idols. This church in Corinth is like, what do we do about meat and idols? And, well, and he tells them. Verse 4, he says, as to eating food offered to idols, we know an idol has no real existence. There's no God but one. He said, I get the fact that idols aren't real. I get the fact that there's only one God. When they're killing at the Zeus, there's no Zeus. There's no Artemis. We understand that. But he goes down to verse 7. He says, however, not all possess this knowledge. Some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. See, this guy, he came out of that background. He was a cult prostitute. That's where he lived until he got saved. And every time he eats that meat, now he thinks about that, and he doesn't feel free to do it. It's not the food that's the issue. Food is not going to commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and we're better off if we do. So it's not the issue with food. What is the issue? The issue is your brother. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you and you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat the food? You have, you have caused him to stumble. You've destroyed him. Now, again, there's a misconception in the church. What does it mean to cause someone to stumble? Here's what it's not. You don't like watching movies. You don't feel free to watch movies. And they do. And you don't like it. And so you get mad at them because they watch movies and you don't. And so you say, well, that causes me to stumble because you went to a movie. That is not stumbling. It's just not. I'm sorry. That's not the biblical explanation of what it means to stumble. Here's what it is. You don't feel free to watch movies. He does. You go over to his house, he pulls out the Blu-ray, puts in a movie, knowing that you don't feel free to watch a movie, and you are tempted to go against your conscience. That is stumbling. That's what stumbling is. He has caused you to do something that you didn't feel free to do, and thus he has destroyed you, as Paul says, the brother for whom Christ died. And then he goes on, thus sinning against your brother, wounding their conscience when it is weak, and you sin against Christ. Not only do you sin against your brother, but you've sinned against God. And so Paul concludes saying, hey, if, it, if food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat, lest I make him stumble. Because we is more important than me, than I. Right? We. And I know there's a temptation Okay, because some of you are thinking right now, well, don't they just need to grow up in the faith and understand they're free? Maybe. But I can tell you this, it ain't your job to do it. It's the Spirit's job. It's not your job to flaunt it. Well, I'm just going to teach them they're free. Right? That's arrogance. And that is me is more important than we. Well, if I, don't, if, I, if I do this one thing over here and I don't do it over here, then I'm a hypocrite. No, you're not. 
A hypocrite would be when you say, well, all movies are evil. I'll never watch a movie. And then you go over here and you watch a movie. That's called hypocrisy. Right? When you're in an environment and you say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that because these people might struggle. That's just what Paul says. I'm going to be a Jew for the Jews. I'm going to be a Gentile for the Gentiles. I mean, Paul, when he's with the Jews, man, he is, he's cutting his hair like a Nazarite. He's doing all the Jewish things. When he's with the Gentiles, he's eating bacon. He knows his environment. And he just wants to win the more. He's not a hypocrite. He just understands my brother is more important than my freedom. And look, I'm not saying that you have to give up your freedoms, church. Please don't leave saying, well, Bill said we can't listen to 80s rock and roll anymore. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you need to be more considerate of your brother than yourself when you're with them. And the key, I think, in in 1 Corinthians 8 is when he says, when when they see you, if anyone sees you having knowledge in the temple, when you're with your brother, when you're tabling, when you're hanging out, be aware of your neighbor, of your brother. That's all we're saying. Be more considerate because we is more important than I. And here, let me speak to both sides, because we have both sides of this church. We have the, the, the kind of restricted rules keepers, and then we have the freebies. And, and, and look, I've been on both sides, but let me speak to both groups, and then we'll bring this thing in for a landing and get some conclusion. Look, I spend most of my Christianity, especially the early years, as the rule guy. I did. I mean, I had rules and I had lists, and if you didn't meet them, then you were not as good as a Christian as I were, and I could prove it to you. And I'm telling you, I left relational carnage behind me. I was so arrogant, y'all. I mean, I went off to seminary thinking I knew it all. I was in a church, and I had this godly pastor. He had been pastoring this flock for, for 30 years. This guy knew the scripture, I, I mean, as well as Paul, if not better. He was so sharp but so humble. And I sat down across from him in his office one day, and I told him why he was wrong and this, this, and this, and how this was sin and blah, blah, blah. And he should have shot me right there. <laughs> but he was so gracious with me and just listened to me. He's probably thinking, he'll learn. He's just a young dummy right now. He'll learn. And thankfully, I did. So I know what it is to be on one or one of these sides. But let me speak to the more restricted group of folks here. It, it's, if you have these convictions and you don't feel free in these areas, that's great. I'm, that's fine. If that's where God's got you, then stay there. That's what, that's what you don't, we would never ask you to violate your conscience. But here's what I would ask for you. Understand, number one, that just because you have these convictions does not mean you are better than other people. So please understand that you don't feel free to have a glass of wine, that this guy over here, that you are not a better Christian than him. Because the only reason you are here is because Jesus died and paid for your debt, all of us. So understand that what you do is not make you more better than or more acceptable in God's sight. Number two, don't be an apologist for your position. Be an apologist for Jesus. Don't go around saying, thus saith the Lord, if he didn't saith. If you're going to be his spokesman, make sure you're speaking what, what God has said. And thirdly, don't be a slanderer. If you're the lamb chop eater, don't slander the, the shrimp eater. Because in doing so, you have become like Satan, the slanderer, the devil. And the last thing we need is gossipers. If you have a problem with that guy, go talk to him. If he's caused you hurt, pain, please go talk to him. And if you want us to go with you, we'll go. But don't talk about him to the rest of the lamb chop eaters. Go talk to him. 
That's what brothers do. So if you feel more restricted, there's just some, some encouragements for you. Okay, let's talk to the freebies. Because let's be honest, CBC, we lean this way. If you don't believe me, go downtown on a Friday night. Half the church is down there, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you. All right. So let me give you guys some advice and some counsel. And this is mostly your 24-year-old dude who grew up in a legalistic home, and now he's let the pendulum swing way too far. Some of you need to pull back your freedoms because people are talking, and they're not in a good way. And if it gets to my ears, I'm like Mr. Recluse who lives out in Georgetown, and I'm hearing, man, some of your people are down there being wild, then you need to tone it down. Okay? You are free, yes, but you are not free to go get drunk downtown. Okay? You're not. You're not free to go act obnoxious because I'm free in Christ. Your brother matters. And you may think no one cares, but you know, you may be 28, 33, and the 16-year-old kid's with his mom, and he's watching you. And you are responsible for your brother. So be considerate and be wise and understand that you are responsible for your brother, right? I'm not saying you have to give up your freedoms, but I am saying you need to be wise. So let me give us some principles, and we'll close this bad boy out. How do we handle freedoms? How do we handle gray areas? I mean, not areas that God has been absolutely clear, but here, here, here's some questions to ask yourself if you're like, where, I don't know where I stand on this. What do I do? What do I do? Here's five questions to ask, okay? Number one, can I glorify God in this? Can you worship God with this? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, enjoy this, but can you glorify God in this? Do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So if you can eat or drink this way for the glory of God, then do it. And if you ask, if you're like, oh, I don't know, well, then you probably should abstain, right? Very simple. Number, so question number two, is it wise? Is it wise? If you are debating whether or not to get your girlfriend of two weeks' name tattooed on your forehead, <laughs> okay, I can tell you, you're free in Christ to do that. That's not the wisest decision. And if you're wondering, well, I don't know, I mean, I'm 19, I don't really get it, then ask someone that's like 40, okay? <laughs> ask your community group leader. And if he tells you to go get the name tattooed on your forehead, then you call me <laughs> because we're going to fire him <laughs> and, and find a new community group leader for you. But is it wise? Is it wise that I'm at this place at 2 in the morning right now? Is it wise? Right? Is it why? Just, just ask this questions. Question three. Is it beneficial? See, all things are lawful, Paul says, but not all things build up. I'm free, but is it, is it build me? Does it build other people? I'm telling you, I went to a movie the other night, and some of you don't feel free to go to movies, and I understand that, and I'm not trying to get you to. But I went to a movie, and I walked out. It was a hard movie to watch, and it wouldn't be for everybody, but I came out with a greater appreciation for our military that I've had in a long time, I can tell you. And I was like, man. I mean, it drove me to pray for our military that night and yesterday because it was tough. Right now, there, I mean, there obviously is certain movies that, look, there's no, the, nobody in our con- congregation should be seeing Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't care. I'm just telling you. It's, there's no reason for you, oh, I need to study culture. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> 
But there are things you can learn from. You can read Tolkien and see good versus evil. You can see these things. You can see common grace. Is it beneficial? And if it's not, then you, then you cut it out. Question four, does it bring bondage? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful, but not a thing's helpful. So I won't be indominated. I won't be enslaved to anything. If, if the threatening of pulling this freedom away causes you to get angry and upset, then you are probably in bondage and enslaved, and you need to deal with it. If you don't freely, if you're not willing to freely lay it down, then it's probably bondage for you, right? If you get mad about it, well, it's probably something that you need to think about. And then the big question, really, and this is the summary of them all, is, is it loving? Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love covers a multitude of sins. So is it a loving thing to my neighbor, to, to my spouse, to my kids, whatever? Look, because there's plenty of gray, and gray areas, but what is black and white in the church is love your neighbor as yourself. That is, a, that is a black and white command. You can deal with all the other gray things, but is it loving? Because we're not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ, 1 Corinthians 9, which is love. That's what it is. And see, the law, of, the law of Christ, here's the cool thing. The law of Christ brings joy. The law of legalism brings frustration and jealousy and division. In fact, if you go back to Acts 15, what happens at the end, and I know you're like, well, are we going to ever finish this chapter? Yeah, I'm going to summarize it real quick because basically it recaps the exact same thing. They say, okay, we're going to tell all the churches. We're going to write a letter. We're going to send Paul and Barnabas, but we're going to send some other guys just in case they don't believe Paul and Barnabas. So we're going to send Silas and Judas, and they just send them back to the church with the same letter that says these very same things. And here's how it concludes. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. But they can't eat steak anymore, not around these guys anyway. It doesn't matter because the law of Christ, law of love, always brings joy. Because when you are loved deeply by other people and are sacrificing for you and caring for you, what is the response? It's joy and it's responding in love. And there is great joy even though they're going to lay down some of their freedoms because that's the law of Christ. And what we have been saying from day one is this is a place where the main thing is the main thing, y'all. Jesus, as your sacrifice, as your substitute, as your Savior resurrected, faith in him alone, that is the main thing. All these other little things, we can agree to disagree. Because we is more important than I. That's the love of Christ. And look, you are no more free than when you freely lay down your rights to people. That's true freedom. To say, I can do this or I cannot do this. That is freedom. That's the law of Christ. How do we treat the deceived cowboy fan? We love him anyway. Because that's the law of Christ. We have one God who we all worship, one Savior, one Lord, one baptism. That's what we're about, right? That's what we're going to continue to be about. Do not let the enemy divide over lesser things. Let's worship our one God together. Stand up with you, please, and we'll pray and we'll worship. Father, you are good to us. I thank you for our Savior. You are one Father, you are one Son and Savior, you are one Spirit indwelling in us, a mystery, but yet uh, just our beautiful triune God. I pray as we 
your body come to worship now and to sing and to reflect that you would draw us close to yourself. I pray for anyone in this room that has been having bad feelings towards one other person that they would go to their brother and maintain unity, not uniformity. We do not want to be uniform, but we do want to be unified. And the only unity comes around the gospel. So guard us, Lord Jesus, from the error and the heresy of legalism. Let us be moved by your grace and drawn to yourself because of it. Please guard us. Please grow us deeper in it. Please motivate and, and fuel us by your gospel. For Christ's name's sake, I pray.